What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, insurance-minded speeches from Geico. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the Geico app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the Geico app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you. What's up, guys? Red Nation Hoops Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. You're joined by my co-host, at Rocket Intellect, a.k.a. Paul. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really good. Also, I have a, a guest on the podcast from Fox Sports, Nick Wright. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I, I had no idea I was on the phone. I'm very excited to be on it. I had no idea I was on it with my, at times, Twitter friend and at times, Twitter nemesis, Rocket Intellect. This is exciting. It's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, um, I knew that you would appreciate my presence, Nick, so I made sure to be yeah, on this pod just for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's going on, fellas? We're doing great. So um, the NBA season, we're, we're about 15 games, almost 15 games of the NBA season. We've got a chance to see some things. We're at, we're at that stage of the NBA season where we kind of know some things, but we don't, we don't really know everything. Um, so to get started, what's, what's like your biggest surprise the NBA season so far? Biggest, my biggest surprise is the Clippers. I mean, I thought they'd be good, but this looks like not just the Clippers team that, hey, that's good, good enough to make the Western Conference Finals, probably won't go because they're the Clippers. Like, this is a Clippers team that absolutely looks like a team that could come out of the West and potentially win a title, like, if there's two questions. Can you come out of the West? And the next question is, can you beat LeBron? And the one thing that LeBron's always, even for when it's a lesser player, whether it's Roy Hibbert, whomever, the really big rim defenders, if you look at playoff series that LeBron has lost, he's lost a series to a team with Tim Duncan, a series to a team with Garnett, a series to Dwight Howard, a series to Andrew Bogut. A series to Tyson Chandler, those really big rim defenders, and even though DeAndre Jordan's not the greatest rim defender, just those big bodies have always kind of dissuaded LeBron. So I, I look at the Clippers and I say they've always believed they could beat the Warriors. I remember last year, early in the year, I think a game in Golden State, they were up like 25 early and then just folded down the stretch. They play Golden State top, CP3. Uh, I think has a healthy dislike for Steph and the Warriors. And so the Clippers, to me, are a really interesting team that it's not just a team that's going to win 58 games and, you know, be a six-game series. Like, I'm not saying I would pick them to win the title, but they have, they've got a good shot at uh, being a real championship team, and I didn't see that coming before the year. 
Yeah, and the the biggest surprise to me is their defense. They're number one in the in the league in defense right now. And DeAndre Jordan, as of this moment, is my defensive player of the year candidate. Like he's been absolutely phenomenal. And I've been a guy who's criticized him in the past for being a little bit overrated on that end of the floor. And he's just been a monster in the on in the paint. And they're number one in point differential, number one in uh, net rating, and all the metrics say they're the best team in the NBA. And the biggest the biggest thing to me is. Like, can they sustain this? And going into the playoffs, will they be able to show this in the playoffs? Uh, because we always know, you know, there's that old joke: this is the Clippers, right? And will they be will they be able to keep this going and actually be a legitimate threat to the Warriors? Because at the end of the day, the, the Warriors do have freaking Kevin Durant now, and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be exciting because I did I didn't think there was a team that'd be able to challenge Golden State, but now it looks like. The Clippers might be be able to legitimately challenge them. Yeah, and, uh, and, and so the question about the playoffs is probably one of health, and you know, there's we're too far away from that for me to give you a, a real answer. What I will say is, with the Clippers, you mentioned all their great stats. They also have a road win. Like, here's one thing to keep in mind. Let me backtrack a little bit. The NBA backloaded this schedule. By that I mean they know no one's really paying that much attention until after Christmas and so the really good teams, most of them are going to have, relatively speaking, soft schedules early because they're going to be on national TV all the time late in the season. It's why I think you know people didn't think the Lakers were going to be good. The Warriors play the Lakers I think four times before December 1, certainly three times. Like, they, so a lot of these teams are like, oh, they have really good records, but how many tough games have they played? So I say that to say this, the Clippers have won road games already at Portland, at Memphis, at San Antonio, at Oklahoma City. Like, those are four really legitimate road wins that they already had. And so, obviously, and this speaks to what I'm talking about, echoing the schedule, the Clippers play the Warriors one time before January 1st. So, I mean, you're gonna they're going to have some wars later in the season. But uh, right now, I think they're as legitimate as can be. Yeah, and um, my biggest question with them has always been that fifth starter. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Luke Mbamute, but he's been he's been do- doing really well on the defensive end for them. Um, and I, I really liked Matt, how what Matt Barnes did for them. We'll see. We'll, we'll see if they can keep this going. And uh, you made a gr- great point about their schedule. Um, they've had some impressive victories, certainly. And my biggest thing is they're blowing teams out of the water. And that's something yeah. that the Clippers have never done. They've They've never beat teams in convincing fashion before, so I'm interested to see if they can keep this going. Yeah, uh, it just and, on the schedule note, just like the Cavs, who I think look extraordinary, and LeBron seems to be playing at a higher level than even he's played at. I know the numbers don't back that up, but I've watched every minute of their season, and he he seems to be. Like, just deciding, going into a game, okay, I want to get Kevin Love going, or I'm going to get Billy, or I'm going to get, like, he's just, he has certain objectives, it would appear, that he's out there working on. So I think the Cavs have looked great. I think the Browns looked great. With that said, I mean, I look at the Cavs, they've had, I mean, their road games thus far this year at Toronto, at Philly, at Washington, and then the game at Indiana that LeBron sat. The Cavs, the I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it as we speak. Is the 
best team they played in might be the Rockets, depending on what you think of the Raptors. Like, they've had a very light schedule early, and that's because they're going to be on national TV, you know, three times a week, basically, later in the season, and that's when a lot of those tough road games are going to come. Yeah, uh, and something to keep in mind with the Cavs is always just LeBron's extra gear in the playoffs. Uh, He even has an extra gear after the All-Star break, which is something that a lot of people don't realize. He just really, last year especially, he turned on just a completely new gear uh, and was coasting initially, but just played fantastic after the All-Star break and was even hitting his threes. Uh, And I think that Kyrie has learned to play within himself a little bit more uh, and know and I think he's learned how to distribute a little bit better which is going to be really important for Cleveland's run I think that Kevin Love being involved is going to be a really important development and also just Amon Shumpert apparently has turned into Ray Allen I think he's shooting like 50% from three so far I've always thought that he had nice form and I always believed that he would develop a three and then I gave up on it last year but if Amon Shumpert is going to shoot really well on threes and play the kind of defense that uh, he that people theoretically believe that he can play then the Cavs are just like nine or ten deep and absolutely stacked all the way through especially with Channing Frye who is like a really rare stretch five that no other team really has coming off of the bench. I, so you brought up a lot of things there that I want to... I'll just start with Shumper quickly. You know, two years ago, they decided, who are we going to give the long-term deal, like a real deal to, and who are we going to give a fake deal to? And they decided to Shumper the real deal and J.R. Smith the fake deal, the one-year deal, essentially. And... Last year, it looked like they got that wrong. Like, Shumpert was dreadful, especially late, like almost unplayable. And JR was huge for them. Uh, but the big question for the Cavs this year was was that a one off for Iman Shumpert, or is, you know, did they overvalue him? Thus far this season, as you mentioned, he's been great, and that's such a valuable resource for them. The other point you brought up, like, no one should understate. I think it's impossible, let me say this in a way, I think it's impossible to overstate how how much a player's entire career and their trajectory and their life can change when you have the moment Kyrie Irving did. When you, at 24 years old, have hit the shot that won a title, it, the, it's not just you're a champion, and it, it's the fact that Kyrie now doesn't ever have to be in his own head. Like, he has the freedom of, no one will ever call me a choker. No one will ever question, you know, can I hit this big shot? And I think sometimes that weighs on guys. I think that stuff, I think you've seen it with LeBron, like, that one of his biggest weaknesses, like maybe his only weakness, had been sometimes too far in his own head. And when you're that young, Kyrie, and now you're just a bronze champion and a guy that hit the shot, I think you were likely going to be the best Kyrie we've ever seen, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, Kevin Love, I mean, there's two guys in the league that ever 20 points and rebounds. It's Anthony Davis and Kevin Love. Uh, the, the fact that Love doesn't have to worry about being scapegoated or the trade rumors, like, he is playing the best basketball he's played in Cleveland by far, 
And then there's LeBron. I, it's interesting. They're, he's playing a lot of minutes. He's playing right now. It's the most minutes per game. It's barely. But the most minutes per game played since he got to Cleveland. And so that would, that would be kind of jarring. I think people say, that, like, why? He's in year 14, six straight trips to the finals. Give the guy, you know, some rest. And I know they sat him out that one game. But uh, if you're watching the Cavs play, LeBron's resting while he's playing. Like, LeBron is operating on, like, autopilot for the first 42 minutes of these games. And then if they need to late the final six minutes, he locks in defensively and he closes people out. Like, uh, and the Channing Fry stuff, it, he's a perfect stretch five for LeBron. I, right now the Cavs are, I know everyone's paying attention to the Warriors, I get it. But the Cavs right now are, to me, clearly the, the team that everyone should look at and say, can we beat them? Because everyone in the West knows the Cavs are coming out of the East, and the Cavs right now are so comfortable with exactly who they are and what they are that, I mean, I think they're terrifying for the rest of the league. Yeah, and they're the standard bearer. You said it right. They're the NBA champions. You know, they're the defending NBA champions. When you look at the rest of the league, everybody stacks up against them, and I think um, they're a team that everybody goes up and tries to play out for every night, you know? And I think... You made a good point about Kevin Love. You know, in Cleveland, they always talk about the shot, the block, and the stop. And the stop is like, I feel like after that moment, like Kevin Love, like I've never seen a looser Kevin Love, and he just feels so comfortable in his own skin that you can't touch me anymore. You know, I'm 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 Kevin Love, and and no one gives credit for Kevin Love in that final series for how good he was cleaning up the glass. He was phenomenal at cleaning up the ga- the glass, and it wasn't just a stop. He was really good in that game in general, and I think um, I think you're starting to see that. I think his, his teammates understand that, and I think you're starting to see that with this play this season. One thing just quick to keep in mind with the Cavs is just this is the first time since LeBron has come over that they're going to have legit shot to get home court advantage all the way through, and I think that might be why LeBron is playing the mid- the minutes that he's actually playing because uh, the year that LeBron first got there, you know, they got off to a bad start. They didn't have enough depth initially, so they really couldn't get home court advantage. The next year, Golden State Warrior, the Golden State Warriors won 73 games, so that was kind of out of reach, obviously. But this year, getting home court advantage is almost likely at this point if they continue to play the way that they are playing. And that's going to be huge against the Warriors. It's it's such an important point, and you're totally right. Like, LeBron, I think this is accurate, LeBron's won a road playoff game in every playoff series he's been a part of since he got swept in the finals a decade first. So, like, I think people see that and they're like, well, you don't have to, he doesn't have to have home court. And it's true, like, he doesn't have to have home court. Certainly, I mean, they could be the fourth seed in the East and they're still going to come out of the East. But in the finals, it's such an edge. And what we saw last year is so rare. An NBA team losing game seven of the finals on its home court, I mean, that, forget the 3 1 stuff, it's just, that's so such a rarity. It's one of the rarest things in sports. And so that means all of a sudden, if you're so if you're, if it's, you're not going to be able to win game seven on the road, 
that means you got to win the thing in six. Now all of a sudden you've got to beat a really great team four out of six games. Like it's just, I mean, everyone knows the math. It's really, really hard. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the Cavs, right now, I, I look at the Cavs and I say that team's going to win 66, 67 games. And what's going to help them is, and this is this was true a week ago. It might not be true uh, since that game they lost to the Pacers at LeBron's back. But as of a week ago, the Cavs, with LeBron on the court per 100 possessions, were beating teams by like 18 points. Just you know what I mean? Just a huge yeah. uh, margin. Mm-hmm. But with LeBron off the court, they were breaking even. They were they, they were dead even with teams, and that. The first two years LeBron was in Cleveland, the Cavs, when he was on the bench, were a plus-minus disaster. Like, I mean, they were just a bad team. If they can be playing teams dead even when LeBron's not playing, which speaks to what Kyrie and Kevin Love have done, I mean, and that's a team that absolutely, even if LeBron fits seven, eight, nine games this year, absolutely can win in the eight, six. And you were just speaking to LeBron's value to the Cavs. Uh, to start the season, we've seen some amazing individual performances so far. Give me your top three MVP uh, candidates. Yeah, give me your top three MVP candidates in order, if you can. Uh, I, to me, and I, I know the numbers don't necessarily support this, and maybe this is my own just fanboy stuff, but I, it, to me, it, it, LeBron is number one. I, I think that, a, and then I'll give the other guys, but just quickly on LeBron, I, the, in my opinion, if we're talking about you know best the best player in the league whose team is also really good, I mean you can make a very strong case that LeBron should have been MVP every year the last decade except for last year because Steph was so amazing and the year Durant won. I think that was totally fair, but I think LeBron you know maybe should have won seven or eight of these things. I. I think that as long as the Cavs do what we're saying win-wise, even if LeBron's only averaging like 23, 24 points a game, I think he's going to average nine. I think he might average a career high in assists. He's close. You know, he's right now I think he's 23, 9, and 9. Uh, I don't think he'll get the triple-double average because, so, like last night, he didn't play very many minutes. He had three rebounds, three assists. Like, to overcome that, all of a sudden you need a 17 rebound or a 17 assist night. Like, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna put those up. Uh, but I would say LeBron won, and then it's really hard because then it's Russ and Harden, and I don't know which. Like Houston, both teams, I don't know how they score a single basket when the other guy's off the court. Like I just, uh, and you guys watched you know, more Rockets games than I have, but I've watched a handful. I was at their first game of the year here in L.A. I, I mean, Harden does everything for them, but mm-hmm. so does Russ. So, I mean, to me, those are the clear, clearly your three top candidates. There's no one, on, like, everyone on Golden State does. I mean, Steph and Grant have both been amazing, uh, and I think we've maybe understated how amazing they've both been, but they're not, to me, in that top three. Uh, CP3, you can make the argument for, but again, like he's going to split credit with Griffin quite a bit. And you mentioned DeAndre Jordan. I, to, to me, it's very clear that LeBron, Russ, and Harden are your top three. I think probably in that order. Uh, I, a lot of people this week were asking, you know, Russ or Harden, Russ or Harden. I, 
I don't think there's a wrong answer there. I think a lot of people are going to crush Harden for his defense. Uh, the truth is that Russ, Russ is much less likely to look disengaged or fall asleep on defense, but he's much more likely to gamble for something that hurts your defense just as much. And both of those guys are just asked to do everything for their team offensively, and they're asked to do so much offensively that when you want to rest on defense, like, I totally get it. Like, you, there's only so much energy in the human body, and when you're asked to do everything, you're going to have to take time off. I don't buy into Kawhi Leonard as a real MVP candidate yet. I, and this is, people think this is me hating on him. I'm not hating on him, but like, the, the, and this, you guys may disagree with this, and I catch a lot of crap whenever I say this, but it's just the truth. The reality is, in the NBA, it is not how good you are, 50% how good you are on offense, 50% how good you are on defense. If that were the case, then Tony Allen would be a multi-time all-star. And he's not. Like, it, when you're evaluating an NBA player, maybe it's different for rim protectors. But for wings or point guards, uh, your value is about 75% what you do on offense, 25% what you do on defense. And that's what hurt, hurts Kawhi's case. I know Kawhi's incredibly efficient. I understand he's the Spurs go-to guy. And he's shown me some things this year that I didn't know what he'd be able to do. But I just can't consider an MVP. I, I'm sorry, and maybe this is too basic. He's never had more than 35 points in the game, ever. And, like, the, the, the league's too good with too many unreal players for that guy to be the most valuable player in the league. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I, I, I think he's awesome, and I think he's one of the six best players alive, but he's not, to me, an MVP candidate yet. Yeah, and while I disagree with you on Kawhi, I think uh, you, you put up a solid list there for your top three MVP candidates. For me, it's Chris Paul. Um, I just think uh, we've set a standard the past three or four years, you know, best team, best player on that on that team. Uh, and I think Chris Paul has just been amazing. He's, just, he's like second in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. The guy never turns the ball over, and that's just amazing. Uh, that's a credit to how good his handle has been. Um, he's just a really great game manager, and he's been... You know, his numbers don't jump off at you. I think he's averaging 18-8. and eight. But I think defensively what he does for that team, which he's still a phenomenal defender, uh, and offensively what he does for that team, I just I just can't overlook it. And on top of that, the, I have to reward the Clippers for how well, how good they've been this season. Um, that's my number one. Uh, and, that's, that's so and I saw a crazy chart uh, the other day. Chris Paul's assist-to-turnover ratio has improved Every single year he's been in the league. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's just barely. Mm-hmm. But every single year, like his worst assist to turnover year ever was his worst year. His best ever is this year. His second best is last year. Like it's just one chart that goes in one direction. He's unbelievable. And he, in reality, what's going to hurt him is his counting stats are not going to be off the charts. Yeah. LeBron probably overcome his counting stats not being off the charts compared to Russ and Harden. Because he's LeBron, because some people are going to just give him the, like a vote based on what he did in the finals last year, like as a you know a lifetime achievement thing. But no, I mean there's no wrong answer here. Can I can I ask you guys a question real quick? Sure. Something uh, something that I posited on Twitter yesterday. I don't know that there's ever been 
a position deeper than point guard is right now. Like, right now, if you're talking about, if you consider Harden a point guard, and you're talking about the best seven players in the sport, it's LeBron, Durant, Kawhi are on the list, and everyone else is a point guard. Harden, Ross, CP3, Seth. If I try to, I try to compile the list of, if you're doing the top five point guards in basketball, either Lillard or Kyrie miss the cut. How insane is that? If you're doing the top ten, he's like, you, the, I, I don't know if Isaiah Thomas is top ten, because what do you do with Lowry, Wall, Kimba, and Conley, like plus the other six that I just mentioned? It is absolutely nuts how deep that position is right now. And I don't know how you rank them. Like, I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, and, and plus Kemba's been so good this year. Like, Kemba's been really good for Charlotte. And I think uh, he... Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and you have to consider him, him on that list um, as far as the top six or seven point guards this year. And I think, um, yeah, it's been it's been really deep. But I would argue that um, in 2014-15, when Tony Parker was at his best and when um, Derrick Rose was still really good, or, or not not Derrick Rose, but... Um, there was a lot. There was a lot more. It was a lot more top heavy in 2014. I think. And I think in the 90s you could make a case for the center. Although I, I don't think it beats beats out today's point guards. Um, I don't know. That's uh, an interesting I question. Wonder, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the center. I was thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. The center spot in the in the 90s. Yeah. What it had over the point guard spot now is you had like four guys who are top 40 players ever. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the center spot at one point when you had Elijah Robinson, Ewing, you know, young Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, but it didn't go 10 deep. Like yeah. the top of it was probably better than the point guards are now. Got around 10, you were talking like Rick Smith. We're 10 right now. Like, is the 10th best point guard in basketball Mike Conley, who just signed for $150 million? Yeah. Like, it's insane. Yeah, and, it's real, like I, I just don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and there's other guys like we haven't mentioned, like George Hill. He's been really good this year for the for the Jazz. He's been good. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, it's and like does, does Giannis count? <laughs> yeah. Does Giannis count? Like, I mean, I don't know. It's just yeah. Um, and it, oh, one other thing, I know I'm kind of rambling here, uh, but I was just talking hoop with you guys. Uh, one thing that they speaking of point guards and crazy numbers that this season is going to do is once we're done with this year and Harden puts up whatever he ends up putting up, we're all going to look back, if we don't already, on those two MVPs that Steve Nash has and laugh at ourselves. Like, what we are seeing is that in Mike D'Antoni's system, if you want to have your point guard have the ball in his hands a ton, he's going to put up bananas numbers. And Harden's going to put, I think, Steve Nash's numbers to shame. Uh, and we gave Nash two consecutive MVPs. Yeah, actually, Paul mentioned something earlier this season. And it, it kind of bothered me because I'm a huge Steve Nash fan. He actually raised the question, is Harden better than Nash? And I'm not ready to go there yet because I think Nash has still done so much. Um, for the, for those, those Suns teams were amazing. And nobody gives them enough credit for how good they were. Um, they were consistently in the conference finals year in and year out. And I think Nash... And they might, they might have won the title if Joe Johnson didn't break his face. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, an ejection call or doesn't happen. Without that Ori hip check. 
Yeah, yeah. Without that Ori hip shit, yeah. Well, and but one other thing about those Suns teams that should uh, be remembered, we also, not that you guys do, but I think a lot of people do, forget what a dominant force of nature Amari Stoudemire was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amari Stoudemire was just, I, I went back and looked at the old, I don't know if you guys are Bill Simmons fans, uh, I am, especially his old NBA writing. And I went back and looked at his um his trade value rankings, and there was like a six year stretch where Amari was top five every single year. Like he was such a dominant guy. But I'm just I'm looking at when Nash won MVPs, and I uh, listen. I know he's great. Do you do you remember off the top of your head the years he won MVPs? I think were '05 and '06. It was I definitely '06. Yeah, yeah. Or 06 and 07. Oh, you know, there it is. Yeah. He averaged 19 points, 11 assists those two years. Yeah. Like, that's great. And four rebounds. Like, Harden is averaging 29, 13, and 9. Like, (laughs) and it's not like you can be like, well, Steve Nash, you know, helped you so much more in the defensive end. Steve Nash was a horrific defensive player. It wasn't for lack of trying. He was just little and not athletic. Like, he's just, guys, his size and athleticism, you're never going to be a good defensive player. Like, um, so, I, uh, I mean, Nash, I, I was actually, I was uh, texting with an NBA GM about this. Uh, like, Nash's first MVP, fine. Like, it was cute and it was new and that team was really awesome and fun, whatever. Nash being on the, like, incredibly short, exclusive list of guys who have won not only multiple MVPs, but consecutive MVPs is what, like, boggles my mind. It's just totally insane. But uh, I think Harden's going to prove that this year. Uh, I'm not going to be able to give you an objective criticism of Nash because he's just my favorite player of all time. So, um, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but honestly, um, uh, yeah, you, you can make a case that he, he didn't deserve that first MVP. Um, Kobe had a really great year that year. Um, Shaq did really well, um, and I, I think I think Dirk was doing really well that year too. I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head. I went back and looked. I went back and looked. The, yeah. two, the, the first year that Nash won MVP, Shaq finished second. And the second year Nash won MVP, LeBron finished second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and so yeah, yeah. You I, could, I mean, we don't have to relitigate a decade old MVP. I was just using that as a way. Yeah, that's amazing. Harden's been because I mean he. I was watching his game. What was it last night or the night before last? I don't remember. He had sixteen six and six in the first quarter. Yeah, like what is happening? Like what is going on? He's a the uh, and I I know Paul bangs on me sometimes for focusing too much on counting stats, but I do like the old school counting stats, like the just raw numbers that Harden and Westbrook are putting up, it's like regularly you go to, you put in what they did that night into the basketball reference game finder, which goes back to 85. And it's, they're regularly putting up unprecedented nights. Like it's, you know, who's done this? And it's just, Westbrook's done it three times and no one else has done it in 30 years. Who's done this? Harden's done it twice this season. LeBron did it once eight years ago, and that's the list. Like, 
every night, it seems like. They're just, one of them is doing something totally bananas. Yeah. Yeah, and Solomon and I were actually talking before the season started with about Harden and, like, just how good could he be. And if we thought he could average 30 and 10, and we sort of laughed it off, we didn't think that there was any way that Harden could average 30 and 10 because we didn't really know what 30 and 10 looked like. And now it looks like he might average 30 and 12 or 30 and 13 or 30 and 13 along with eight rebounds or something. And it's nuts. I don't know what to make of these counting stats. There are so many of them. Yeah. And I think, um, like, we, we had no idea what to expect from Harden going into the season. And what's insane is he's doing this on really great efficiency. Like, his, his true shooting percentage is still above 60%. His effective field goal percentage is still in the, in the high 50s. And his field goal percentage is like 49 or something. And he's, and he, and he's shooting, from the three-point line, he's shooting like 38%. And that's like, like yeah. career highs for him. And that's insane. And like, uh, this raises another question. Um, we were skeptical about the hire going into the season. Like, we, we really wanted Jeff Van Gundy. Um, I think, we, I think um, a lot of people did. We really wanted somebody, like a disciplinarian type like a Frank Vogel type or a Dave Yeager, um, you know, like somebody who can get Harden, who can get through to Harden and get him to play defense and get the roster, uh, you know, back on track into becoming a really good defense. Um, at, the, at the same time, we're big Mike D'Antoni fans, and that raises the question, are you a, are you a Mike D'Antoni guy? I do agree. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he knows what he does well. I think one thing that can't be... A lot of times, fans and the media forget the human element of things. And, like, I, I guess I have a little insight here that maybe other people don't. Um, but one thing people need to understand is the way Mike Pantone's teams play, that's the type of basketball Leslie Alexander likes the most. And that matters. The Rockets know, and Daryl Morey knows, as presently constituted, they're not winning a title. Like, they've got the hardest piece of that in Harden. I think the next, the only other actually truly valuable piece they have, uh, like, long-term is Capella. I've been a bit buyer on him. I, You guys know better than me. I, I feel like maybe uh, he hasn't quite been the guy I thought he'd be, at least in the beginning of the year. But I still think there's so much talent there, and he is potentially so valuable as a rim protector. Uh but Daryl Morey knows they're not going to win the title this year. And it's not a bad thing to hire a coach that the guy, the only guy that can fire Morey is Leslie Alexander. And I think he's a lot less likely to want to make some type of change. Not that Morey was worried about getting fired. Uh, if Leslie Alexander's enjoying watching this style of play, and like the Jeff Van Gundy thing, like that is not this style of play. So I, I, like that's a real part of this. And then you ask yourself, okay, it's one thing to play this style. The other question is, do we have a guy that can play that Nashville? And the answer, evidently, is a resounding absolutely yes. And so for this team, all things considered, I'm good with it. Like, I don't think Dan Tony is, a, like, a great coach, but I think it can work. And I think saying to James Harden, hey, here's what we need you to change about your game is not necessarily the right strategy. I think the right strategy might be here's what they're doing, which is here's what you're great at, what are the best in the league at. We're going to put you in as many situations as possible for you to be able to 
uh, exhibit that, and we're going to try to protect you on the other end. Like, offensively speaking, pairing him with Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon makes a tremendous amount of sense. Now, the reality is, as we all knew, and as the season's showing, we're not going to be able to stop anybody. Like, that's just, okay, like, that's the trade-off. Um, but they're, they're a fun team, and then you just wait and hope, and, you know, you try to you try to see if you can get that other piece. I had somebody ask me the other day, is there any, when the Clay Thompson pretend trade rumors came up, uh, and is there any package the Rockets can put together for Clay? And the answer is no, but God, that, I mean, that would be, like, perfect, right? Like, that's the perfect guy to put with him. Uh, but no, there isn't some, there's no way to get him unless he leaves in free agency at some point. Yeah, and um, you mentioned uh, Les Alexander. I think the fan base has soured secretly on Les Alexander this year. Um, I think previously they were a little bit more confident in what he was doing and staying in the background. And this offseason, he just got a little bit too involved for everyone's taste. And it, it, it kind of gave everybody shivers when um, he mentioned in the press conference, I've always wanted to play this way. Like, it, it, yeah. it, it kind of sounds like he's um, taking a bigger role in basketball ops. And that's not something I want to see. I want the general manager to do everything, and I want the owner to stay in the background. At the same time, I'm a Mike D'Antoni guy, so I can't complain. At the but we'll see. My my biggest thing is how are they going to get better going forward? Because their salary cap situation is messy, and um, they have a lot of guys that are frankly overpaid, and they need to get off the off their payroll before they they can add a second star. And um, right now, their biggest path to get to getting a second star is free agency. And to do that, you have to clear some cap room. Um, obviously, we, there's some big, there's some contracts on the books that you could probably move a little bit easier than some some others, um, like Corey Brewer, um, Ryan Anderson. Um, it's interesting. Um, by the way, what's your perception of Harden? Like, like what's the what's the perception of Harden nationally as compared to locally? Because we feel like that's starting to change nationally, but. Locally, like everybody's been like a, a fan of Harden for a long time. Like, like the local fan base has always defended him. How does this compare to the national right. fan base, and, and is that starting to change I mean, its perception? I think, I, yeah, I think it, the answer is yes. It's starting to change because the raw numbers are so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's on. I think he's very. You know, Calvert, the guy I'm on with all the time. He and I argue about Westbrook and Harden a lot because uh, you know I think a lot of people nationally think. James Harden doesn't care, and they find his defense. And I'm not acting like he's a perfect basketball player, but my general rule of thumb uh, is if you are one of the six best in the world at something, focusing on the stuff you're not great at is ridiculous. Like, if you, if you are spending time complaining about James Harden as a basketball player, then who, do, then who do you like? Like, yes, sure, LeBron. But everyone else you can find a flaw with. And the, I think nationally he's starting to change it. I think smart people nationally have always understood, like, last year he played all 82 games and he played 38 minutes a night. Like, the idea that he's a dog, like, are you kidding me? I think the last two years he's missed one game. And it was because he was suspended, right? Yeah. Like there was yeah, one, so maybe last year he played in the nuts. Yeah. the last yeah. two years, he played incredibly high minutes. He's never rested a game. Uh, and he's just so, like, the other thing that I think hurts him nationally is 
he's not like aesthetically pleasing always to watch play. And the way he is just so crafty. I, I mean, I was, I saw him do something that has now become like part of his repertoire, which is really remarkable uh, in the drawing foul department, which is like he'll put his right arm or left arm, we we'll call it his right arm, like almost out at an angle, uh, like you're going to shake someone's hand. And if the defender gets their hand or arm between like his rib cage and his armpit, he just he immediately closes his arm and jumps in the air. And <laughs> when he does that, your hand is like stuck to him. And when he jumps in the air, it looks like you're fouling him. And every you know every time he gets fouled in the act of shooting, that's worth what like one point six points or something. And it's just brilliant. And I, I, it's really smart strategy, but it's like a, I think some people view it as like a elevated form of flopping, and because of that, they don't, you know, they don't like it. I think it's clearly more fun to watch a guy like Westbrook uh, play, even though Westbrook offensively has a lot more holes in his game as far as, you know, he's one of the, he's better this year, but histor- he's a historically bad three-point shooter, but he demands on, you know, keep shooting them. Uh, Harden does seem to be gaming the system at times, and I think that hurts his reputation. But I think this year he's helping it a lot. And I think he and Dwight not, you know, that not working out, it was weird. I thought people would blame Dwight, but a lot of people it felt like we're blaming James. Uh, and But I think that's going to pass. Yeah, uh, I think the perception of him has changed a lot, actually. It's weird because last year... Uh, people were talking about like uh, when uh, Harden was approaching that uh, historic stat line that only like Oscar and Jordan and LeBron have done. People were saying empty stats; those stats don't matter. And now, all of a sudden, like this year, I guess the stats aren't empty because there are more of them. I don't really understand the line between empty stats empty stats and not empty stats. I guess it's because... There is, in the NBA, it's like, empty stats absolutely exist in pro football. Like, Blake Bortles in the first quarter of his entire career has been horrible. But in the fourth quarter, he's been really good. But the reason is because his team's always down three touchdowns, so the other team in the fourth quarter is just laying off, right? Um... There is this, this skip on my network says this about LeBron. Like, he's an all-time great stat stuffer. And he almost says it as a pejorative. That's absurd. Like, <laughs> there are, every basket matters. Like, I guess if there were, there are certain guys, I'm sure, who inflate their rebounding stats by making sure they're always the one who get the missed free throw rebound. Like, there are slight ways you can inflate them. But in general, I don't believe in the concept of it. Unless your team's just horrible and constantly getting blown out. If you're on a playoff team or a near playoff team, there are no empty stats. And I think that's pretty clear where Harden's at. Yeah, and I think um, as far as the MVP race, like I- I've made it pretty clear. I, I don't think Harden's ever going to win an MVP because I don't think he's ever going to be that liked. But I think... I think as he approaches, like as he racks up all NBA, like first team all NBAs, as he racks, uh, as he puts up insane seasons, I think when we look back, I think history is going to do Harden well, better than what what's going on in the present time. Um, it's it's kind of like Ewing, like like Patrick Ewing is kind of 
like looking back at it, he's a lot more he's a lot more appreciated as opposed to in the moment. I think I think um, like in in the moment in the '90s, nobody really appreciated pa- how good Patrick Ewing is as as a, as compared to today. Um, I, I think Harden's going to become one of those guys when we start talking uh, when we start looking back in the annals of history when we start looking at uh, how great his stats were and um, how many you know accomplishments he racks up. I, th- I think that that's kind of the case with Harden. And I think um, I you said you don't think you said you don't think he'll ever win the MVP. Yeah, I, I think he could win it this year. I really do. Yeah. So see, the thing is, like, I don't think the Rockets are good enough to to justify giving it to him. Uh, and maybe that's just me because I, I've always um, assumed that the MVP was going to go to the top a top three seed, and I just don't see the Rockets getting it this year. But I don't know. Maybe no, maybe that's normally that's normally the case, but this year's so weird. Because, yeah. and again, it's, it's way too early, but like just projecting it somewhat. There's, like, neither the Rockets nor the Thunder are going to be a top three seed. But there are absolutely people that are going to vote for Westbrook and Hard. Like, there's no question that'll happen. I, I believe there are some people, not me, but some, that will vote for Seth or KD. And a lot of people will vote for LeBron. Like and then and I, that's not even mentioning CP3. And if the Clippers win sixty-five plus games, somebody might say, "Yo, this is an all-time great player who's never won the MVP. This is his time." Like, I don't think you're going to need the overwhelming vote share that you've needed in the past because I just think there's going to be so many different guys pulling votes. So I, you know, I, you're right that historically speaking, you do need one of those top three seeds. This year might be different. Yeah, and something to keep in mind, uh, I don't think that the the you're right, the Rockets aren't going to get a three-seed, but I think that if they can squeak 50 wins, which will be a stretch, but I think it's possible, I think that might be enough to do it. Because, you know, Harden's, the Rockets don't have a great record, but when Harden is on the floor, the Rockets are actually a pretty elite team. Like, something... It, I looked up the on-off numbers because I was arguing with uh, so, someone on Twitter about who was the MVP thus far, LeBron or Harden. And the Rockets with Harden on the floor are actually just as good as the Cavs with LeBron on the floor. And that's right, actually pretty Harden amazing with like, like Kyrie and Kevin Love on the team. The Cavs probably have the three next best players other than LeBron and Harden between the two teams with Love, Kyrie, and Tristan Thompson, and they're still just as good uh, as the Cavs with LeBron on the floor uh, as, like, Harden, the Rockets with Harden on the floor. The bench is just really, really bad. The Rockets just really struggle with Harden off of the floor. And I'm not sure that you can punish uh, Harden, uh, Harden for the Rockets just having a really bad bench especially when they're so elite with him on the floor. Yeah, and, and listen, I don't think the Rockets can win 50 games, but if they do, then let me say this right now. If the Rockets win 50 games, I think Harden will be the league MVP. That's, that's like, a- I, think, uh, I, I think that now, but I think what's more likely is they win 46, and it's muddled, like I said. Um, but I mean, the... The argument then, again, if we're going to tease this all the way forward, is the, if if the 
Rockets win 50 games and people say, no, it's got to be LeBron, it's incredibly likely. I mean, Harden's going to average more points than LeBron, guaranteed. He's going to, I think, average more assists. And it's looking like he may even average more rebounds. Like, it's, uh, and the rebounds will be close. I think the assists will probably, I think Harden's assist numbers are likely to come down somewhat, almost because they have to. Uh, but so, no, I mean, I think, I think he's going to be right there. And I think those on-off numbers are really relevant. I mean, the Rockets, the, when I looked at those numbers, the Rockets with Harden off the court, are, it's the equivalent of the worst team in the NBA. I mean, they're, hard, they're, they're, they're just getting crushed. Yeah, they're scoring 88, point, 88 points per 100 possessions when he's off the floor, which is just stupidly bad. Um, and I, I think I think you're right. I, th- I think people are starting to pay attention to the to the advanced statistics now um, as we look at the MVP race. And I think I think RPM is going to be something that um, we kind of lean to towards going into the MVP race. And I think so far, Chris Paul is leading the league in, in, in uh, RPM. RPM is basically real plus minus um, plus minus adjusted for. Uh, opponent strength and um, basically your bench, and so I think that's going to be a statistic that we start to look at a little bit more going into the MVP race. And I don't know for me, it's it's, too, it's still clearly Chris Paul because I just think Chris Paul has been, I don't know, he's just been awesome to me. I think um, I think LeBron has a good case this year. This might be one of those years for the MVP race where um, who we think is going to win it doesn't win it. Like like as in um, in the Defensive Player of the Year race like two years ago. Like, like it, there was a big argument for DeAndre Jordan, and there was a big argument for Draymond Green, and those two canceled each other out. And the third place winner, uh, the, the the guy who won the the most third place votes, Kawhi Leonard, ended up winning. It might be one of those situations, but I think the way the MVP is going, like the way narratives are starting to form, we we sort of figure out who the MVP is going to be, like a court, like three quarters of the way into the NBA season. It'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how well the Rockets are going to do. You mentioned you think they're going to win 46 games. Uh, and that's kind of where we, me and Paul, both projected them to be at. We, we said somewhere from 45 to, to even 50 games. Um, like We still think that's possible, although it's probably on the high end. Where do you think they rank as far as the pecking order of the West? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and then I have a question for you guys before we go. Uh, but let me think. Alright, so clearly, if I'm ranking the West, I we know who the top three are in one order or another. Spurs, Clippers, Warriors. Like, that is that is an, an absolutely locked-in top three. And what the interest, what is amazing is those two teams, Spurs, Clippers. Now, I'm saying this, and as I say it, it doesn't seem possible, but I'm sure it's true. The Warriors in their two title runs have not played either of those teams in the playoffs. Two years ago, the, the Warriors the title runs have played either the Spurs or the Clippers. Oh yeah, they haven't. You're right. Which is nuts, right? Yeah. That you've missed, yeah. missed out on both of those teams both years. So the, what's very relevant there is the one I know this isn't answering your question, but I'll get to it, I promise. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. What's very relevant is the one seed, not because of home court, obviously that helps, but the one seed would mean you only have, of those three, you only have to play one of them. Like, if you're the two seed, you're playing, like, either 
the Spurs or the whoever it is, you guys get it. Like the one seed gets to play the winner of two versus three. And so it's incredibly valuable for any of those teams. Like if you're, if you're the Spurs, I know that they don't always take the regular season as seriously as other teams, but if you can be the one seed, which means the Clippers and Warriors have to play each other in the semifinal round, and you get, you know, I don't know who it would be. I guess this is where we get into where the Rockets are. But you get Portland in the second round. Like, that's such a win. Um, so, okay. So what we know is this. At the top of the West, there's San Antonio, Clippers, and Golden State. At the very bottom of the West, there's New Orleans, in my opinion, New Orleans, Dallas, Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento. Oh, uh, I, I think the Lakers have a case this year to, to be an eight seed this year. They've been really good under Luke Walton, and I think um, they're just enjoying playing together. And I think that's really important. Correct. Yeah, and I think that's I really. Totally agree. Yeah, as opposed as opposed to playing under Byron Scott, and I think that's really important going into you know the playoff stretch, those last quarter games when teams are fighting to get in the playoffs. You have one team that loves playing with each other night in and night out. And I think I think the Lakers are probably going to forego their draft pick this year because their pick is top three protected, and I don't think they're going to be one of the three worst teams in the NBA. It's going to be interesting. Correct. And so that kind of leads me to finally be able to answer the question. If we put San Antonio, Clippers, and Golden State in one bucket, and we put New Orleans, Dallas, Denver, Sacramento, Phoenix in another bucket, then we've got like then we've got this group of teams: Memphis, Houston, Oklahoma City, Utah, Portland, Minnesota, and the Lakers. That's seven mm-hmm. teams. Yeah, there's going to be five playoff spots between them. I know Minnesota's got a bad record, but they have a good differential, and you got to think that's a team that's going to get better month by month. And like it would not surprise me if the Rockets are of those seven teams fourth. I'm sorry, first of those seven teams, and it would not surprise me if the Rockets of those seven teams are fifth. And the one thing, and this is where it's helpful how healthy he's been, but the one thing we know of those seven teams, the two teams that one injury ruins everything are the Rockets of the Thunder. Like, if Harden misses two weeks, which I know he hasn't, but if he does, they're like they're cooked. Same thing with Oklahoma City. If Westbrook misses time, they're cooked. Uh, those other teams can probably withstand an injury better. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that was a lot of words to answer. I don't know. They, their best-case scenario is the four seed, and their worst-case scenario, aside from a hard injury, is, you know, battling it out for that 7-8. That's how I look at it. I mean, I don't. I think they're a playoff team, for sure, unless something, you know, unless something bad happens to hard. Yeah, I think uh, the Rockets are probably in, like, that, second or third tier, depending on, like, if you have two tiers amongst the Warriors, Spurs, and Clippers. I think they're with the Jazz, because their offense is flat-out elite, and their defense is actually probably a little bit better than people think it is. I was listening to a podcast, a Nuggets podcast, and Matt Moore of HP Basketball was actually talking about how the Rockets were for real and were actually had a lot of good things going defensively. Uh, and contrary to conventional wisdom, Harden is actually playing pretty good defense, and Eric Gordon is playing good defense as well. Uh, and the last six games, I think they're 
ranked ninth in defensive rating after kind of the disastrous start where they had to figure out the defensive system and everything. And it might be just me being a homer, but I feel like if the Rockets can get like a mid-level defense, like 18, 19, I think they're 21st or something like that right now, then they've got the four seed just right there for the take. No, I think that's spot on. I think you're you're spot on that for the Rockets. If you can get it to where the defense is just not in the bottom third, right? Yeah. If you can get it to where you're not a bottom ten defense, you're going to be a top three offense. And I got to run in a second, but I got one question for you guys because we've been talking off-season awards and a lot of long-term stuff, because this is totally impossible. Right now, if you're doing first-team All-NBA, who are the two guards? Oh, man. Um, for me, it's Chris Paul and Harden, but uh, maybe I'm being a little homerish on picking Harden as my second no, guy. No, I, I, I don't think you are being homerish. I just think it's insane that, let me put it a different way, Right now, if people were doing it, is there any chance that Steph would be first team? I think the answer is no. That's, and that's stupid, because he's actually played well, um, as compared to how he did he's in the beginning. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like... He's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like, I, people know I don't like the Warriors, but I, like, I think it would... I don't even think it'd be close, you know, and I don't know who would who the other... But I think Chris Paul, Harden, and Westbrook like, everyone would say two of those three are your first-team guards. Like, it's just told, like the, the front court's easy because they don't make you do a... Do they make you do a center anymore? Oh, they do for first-team All-NBA. So I guess the front court, is, I mean, it's LeBron and then either KD or Kawhi, and then you add a center. I, I guess this year it's probably DeAndre Jordan. It's just crazy. And then, I mean, you talk like there's... How are you going to... Like, here's a guy who has no shot at being on any of the All-NBA teams. Clay Thompson. Like, none. I mean, like, he's considered a guard, not a forward. And, like, there won't be a single shooting guard that, like, and then, by the way, like, we, I said, you know, the second team, if DeMar DeRozan has, like, a great case, I don't think he'll keep this up. But all of a sudden, like, if DeMar DeRozan makes one of these teams, then you're talking about, like, you know, that being third team or, you know, because, Damian Willard not make any of them. It is like how strong the backcourts are right now. It's so I guess Demar Derozan would be. Well, what is he? Is he considered a small forward? No, he's he's considered a two guard. That's what I thought. Right. I mean, even though he's super tall, like <laughs> he's a guard. Yeah. I mean, he's been, it's just it's totally nuts. This has been a ton of fun, guys. I, I don't know if it's, we got accomplished what you wanted to do, but I really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, we did. Thank you so much for coming on, Nick Wright. You can catch him on Fox Sports. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I, I, I do a weekly NFL podcast, 20 Minutes. It's with Mike Lombardi, who ran a bunch of NFL teams on Super Bowl with the Patriots. It's called Make Me Smarter. So if people are in the podcast space and want like a 20-minute weekly, easily chewable uh, NFL podcast, uh, you can find that. And then you can catch me on Colin Calvert's show as a guest. And I fill in for him the week after Christmas. So I'll be filling in for him every day. And I'm working on a bigger project that hopefully we'll be able to talk about sometime in the future. But, uh, but thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I know it took a little bit longer than you than you expected, but yeah, uh, we really appreciate oh, no, it. I love it. I love it. This was a ton of fun. It was great talking to you guys. We'll do it again. All right, man. Thanks. 
So that was Nick Wright of Fox Sports. He makes regular appearances on the Colin Cowherd Show. You can check him out. You can follow him on Twitter at GetNickWright. He's a great follow. He talks about a lot of interesting things. And I think on, on the show, on Colin Cowherd's show, he, he touches on a lot of hot-button issues. I think he's a he's a great follow. He's a really interesting guy to talk to about hoops. And I think um, I think if you're a basketball fan, if you're an NBA fan, if you're a Rockets fan, I, I think you're going to enjoy following him. Again, you can check out our work at RedNationHoops.com. We've had a lot of great content since the season started. Uh, Paul actually wrote a, a column just recently called Weekly Intellect. It's, it's going to be a weekly thing for him. He's going to be writing a weekly column on his thoughts and observations on the Rockets every week. So that's interesting. You guys should really read it. Um, and uh, again, George Flores is doing our post-game breakdowns. He's doing a phenomenal job of it. Um, and yeah, we, we have some great stuff going on and you guys should really check out our work. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play and SoundCloud. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Give us a good rating on iTunes if you enjoy the show. That really helps other people find the show and it really helps us and it makes us feel all good inside. So you guys should really give us a good rating. So follow me on Twitter at Red Nation Hoops. Follow Paul on Twitter at Rock and Intellect. And again, Nick Wright at Get Nick Wright. All right, guys. Good night. Cabela's is coming to Northern Virginia with a spectacular new store in Gainesville. Find everything you need for hunting, fishing, camping, and shooting sports, plus much more. Join us for our grand opening celebration Thursday, March 9th at 10 a.m. Be one of the first 500 in line and receive a Cabela's gift card worth up to $500, plus a chance to win one of three Remington firearms. See store for details. Don't miss Cabela's grand opening in Gainesville, located off I-66 and Highway 29 near Virginia Gateway.